Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is February 23rd, 2022. Yesterday was February 22nd, 2022, 2222. I don't know what it means. It means something. History always means something. We're always celebrating one kind of anniversary or another, but February 2022 is the 50th year anniversary of a particularly interesting, intriguing anniversary. 50 years after President, the then President Nixon's historic visit to China. Uh, and that visit remains, of course, intensely um, intensely relevant in a contemporary sense in the context of Ukraine and in the context of Taiwan. Um, one uh, op-ed in the Los Angeles Times, I'm not sure how fair this is, suggests that this fabled trip to Nixon, uh, to not to Nixon, Nixon's fabled, fabled trip to China 50 years ago led to today's Taiwan crisis and I guess perhaps even the Ukraine um, uh, there's an opinion piece in the New York Times suggesting that the new friendship uh, between Russia and China, this new axis, no one's called it an axis of evil yet, they probably will do, is the very thing that President Nixon, who was a master of uh, international geopolitics, this was the very thing that he feared. Uh, 2022 is, of course, also the 50th anniversary of the Watergate scandal. I don't think anyone viewing this needs to be reminded of what exactly that was. It is indeed the scandal that never goes away. Every time we have a scandal, it's called uh, this gate or that gate. So the two things that are forever associated with President Richard M. Nixon, the 37th president of the United States, is his fabled trip to China and above all else, Watergate. And I'm thrilled today that um, there's a new book out by Nixon's trusted aide. That's the subtitle. I don't know whether he had untrusted aides as well. It's entitled The President's Man, and it's by Dwight Chapin, who is joining us from Connecticut today. Dwight, welcome. Um, 50 years ago, does that, does that make you nostalgic? Are you happy that it's such a long time ago. I'm sure there must be a deep degree of ambivalence for you in the whole uh, memorizing Nixon, the trip to China, which you were involved in, Watergate. When you think back 50 years ago, what do you think above all else? Well, when I think back uh, 50 years ago and I think of China, I have to be, uh, I have to reflect upon what we saw the other day as the Olympics kicked off and we saw Putin over there in China, uh, it was not what Nixon envisioned. You know, Nixon said, in 50 years, we're going to be adversaries and we've got to be able to talk to one another. But he had separated uh, the Chinese from the Russians and he was working to end the Vietnam War. And he sure didn't uh, envision at that time, I don't believe, uh, <clears throat> the two of them being together for the Olympics and the United States kind of being out of the picture, so to speak. 
out of the picture. Do you think the old man would be turning in his grave when he thinks of this new friendship between the presidents Putin and Xi? Is this the very thing he feared? No, I don't. I don't think he would be turning, uh, turning in his grave. I think he would do what he was so brilliant at, and that be th that was be the thinking of what the next strategy moves should be in a geopolitical sense. I mean, this was a man who was constantly thinking ahead. This was a man of incredible vision. So uh, he, he, he wouldn't be stewing and turning in his grave. He would be thinking. You gave an interview, uh, Dwight, uh, actually came out today uh, on your former boss, Richard Nixon, saying, and I'm quoting the headline, Richard Nixon was not a crook. Um, I want to get into that, but your book rides off Nixon. Does he deserve, or, or, or do we, the reading public, deserve another book on Nixon? Don't we, firstly, don't we know everything about him? And secondly, I mean, he was in a sense a crook. You went to jail for crimes associated with him, and I think most Americans think he was a crook. No, but he wasn't a crook. He, he, uh, that 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 label uh, got stuck on him because he said from a podium, "I am not a crook," and he was referring when he said that at a press conference early on in the the Watergate period, he was referring to many from Washington who had absconded with funds and actually in his mind were crooks, uh, pe pe people that had come in and profited off of the off the public trust if you will uh nixon was not a crook and and there was and there was no evidence ever not one shred that he had anything any knowledge at all about what was going to unfold with with watergate the the problem with nixon is that he trusted his counsel john dean to tell him the truth and for nine months, John Dean did not tell him the truth. I, I used the example the other day uh, that you may recall the whiz kid, Robert McNamara, who worked for President Kennedy and then continued as Secretary of Defense, yeah. uh, Lyndon Johnson. And when, when he wrote his memoirs, McNamara uh, said, admitted, that he had been giving false information on the Vietnam War to Lyndon Johnson. It's very similar. John Dean was giving false information on Watergate or incomplete information to Richard Nixon. Well, Dwight, and, and it's funny and you bring up, um, it's oh. funny you bring up uh, Dean because um, in September of 2020, he was on my show. Um, Tell me a little bit about Dean. Not everyone watching this show will be familiar with the complicated nature of Dean's relationship with Nixon, both uh, during the administration and then, of course, afterwards. Why, why are you pinning much of the blame, perhaps for Watergate, on John Dean himself? Because uh, that, that's an excellent question. It was, it was John Dean who was given the responsibility for political intelligence 
in the 1972 campaign. And it was John Dean who took a man by the name of G. Gordon Liddy to meet with the Attorney General, John Mitchell, in John Mitchell's office. And it was G. Gordon Liddy who was instructed by John Dean to put together an intelligence plan for gaining information. Everything that happened roots itself back to John Dean being at the inception of all of this. So when the break-in happened and became, uh, and, and the, the uh, burglars got arrested, it was John Dean who knew what had happened. He was, the, he was one of two men in the White House the other being a man by the name of Gordon Strawn, who was an aide to H.R. Bob Haldeman. Those two I, men... I'll get to Haldeman later. So, so, Dwight, there's a lot of new books out, actually, about Watergate. One by Garrett Graff, a uh, big piece, uh, Watergate Central Mystery. Why did Nixon's team order the break-in in the first place? Are you suggesting that the break-in was ordered by Dean, that it was a, um, that it was a, a, a piece of... Uh, an underhand political move by Dean to implicate Nixon and his team? It was, it, I am suggesting that, it, that a decision was made of which Dean participated, that there would be political intelligence and that these people would go in, would, would gather information. And part of that plan included breaking in to get information. So it's dirty tricks. Dwight, but it's not Nixonian dirty tricks. It's it's the tricks of a staff member who was what was he anti-Nixon? Was he a plant? Do you think, Dean? No, he wasn't. A, 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 he was the counsel to the president. Why was Dean he doing got, it? Did he, he, he implicate he, um, Nixon? I, I would say that the, uh, the 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 denominator here is was one of judgment of good judgment oh i and, see and i would say that john dean uh who knew that nixon uh, and, and haldeman and the others wanted good intelligence but there is so dean went rogue he ordered the break-in he didn't tell anyone and then when it all broke he broke ranks and blamed Everyone but himself. No, no. Dean, Dean did not necessarily order the break-in, but it was a combination of him working with the people at the committee to reelect the president and with Jim Magruder, who was the deputy campaign manager. It was it was a collective thing. You can't, it's it's next to impossible to to determine who or actually ordered it. Uh, Gordon Liddy was told to go back in. They had go, they had already gone in in May and planted some bugs. And Jeb Magruder definitely told him to go back in. But John Dean, we believe rather strongly from all of the uh, evidence that's available, was part of that calculation. We are talking with jo Dwight uh, Chapin, uh, the author of a new book, The President's Man, the memoirs of Nixon's trusted aid. Um, briefly, uh, Dwight, let's talk first about that China trip which you were on. How exciting was it? Was that was the first time you tasted Chinese food? 
<laughs> the Chinese food was spectacular. Uh, the, the, the era that we're talking about was, you know, we're going back 50 years. Yeah. China, China had been completely isolated. Uh, the, the, this opening was of historic magnitude. It, it, it's defined as the greatest uh, diplomatic journey in the history of any presidency. And, and, you and think we, that's true, though? The most historic? I'm sorry? Do you think that's true? The most historic visit? Yes, I do think that's true. What other, what other one would, would you compare it to? Here's part of the denominator on that. The altar? No. The, 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 the denominator on this is that, that worldwide, the recognition of the historicness of that journey that Nixon made to China, the, the whole world went with him. It was, it was the first time in terms of mass communications and the use of television uh, that, that literally the president and Mrs. Nixon went and, and the whole country went along with it. What were you doing on that trip? You, you, um, you were a, a close aide to Nixon. You worked for uh, Haldeman. What was your role on that particular trip? I, I, I had been reassigned and I was acting chief of protocol and I reported, I reported to Haldeman, but I, during the aspect of this journey, I reported to Dr. Kissinger, to Henry Kissinger. Ooh. I went with Henry Kissinger on two occasions, and I went with uh, General Al Haig, who went on behalf of Kissinger in January. How was it working for, for Kissinger and Haig after working for Haldeman? Um, there was one... Um, one uh, one one review uh, uh, described you at the Washington Post review by Thomas uh, Malone described you as Holderman's punching bag. He was a tough guy, Holderman, wasn't he? He was a tough guy, and of course, I think that characterization is completely unfair. And uh, on Holderman or on yourself? On. Uh, I was not a punching bag for Bob Haldeman. And he wasn't a puncher? I, 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 clearly, I clearly delineate the relationship that we had, which went uh, cycled up and down. But, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's the post trying to sell uh, papers, I think. He's a tough guy, though. Uh, I mean, Nixon relied very much on, on Haldeman. Tell me a little bit about this guy. He was your principal boss in the White House, right? Yes, he was. So you Bob, worked, uh, Kissinger Bob, and Haig on the uh, on the China trip. Bob Haldeman was one of was the president's chief of staff. He was probably the single most important person in terms of getting the White House organized. I make the point in that president's man that I've talked to six other uh, White House chiefs of staff. The systems that Bob put in place are still being used to this day. He, he, he was an incredible manager. He was tough as nails. He was demanding and uh, he demanded a lot from me. And at times I did not perform up to the standard that he thought I should be performing. And I put that in my book. And there are, are memorandums in my book that underscore what I'm saying. And the post took over and uh, 
characterized it as uh, me being Bob's yeah, post, uh, Certainly when it comes to um, Nixon, I think the, the post certainly probably isn't as well, we can't. as it we're might not, be. Um, I'm curious, Dwight. I'm curious, Dwight. Haldeman's background was in advertising too, J. Walter Thompson. You have some advertising background. Yes, he, he hired me. Back in those days, 50 years ago, it wasn't unusual for people to go from advertising into politics. That route is much um, less fashionable, popular today. What, what did people like Haldeman and yourself learn from the advertising business of the 60s, which you brought to politics, to Nixon, to Washington, D.C.? Yes. Well, uh, first of all, those of us that came out of the J. Walter Thompson orbit, uh, Bob had been involved going all the way back to 1960 when uh, Nixon ran against JFK. So Bob Bob had really been way back into the Nixon history. And then he managed the 1962 campaign when uh, Nixon ran against Pat Brown and was defeated. So Bob, Bob had some longevity there. I, I do believe that the people that came in from the agency side, uh, the advertising agency side or marketing, uh, understood th- this new thing that was coming along called television. Uh, yes, television was important in 1960 when Nixon ran against Kennedy, but it, but but the importance of it was growing uh, exponentially as we moved into the 1968 era. era. Uh, we had uh, Rick Perlstein on the show last year. Um, sure, you're familiar. Perlstein's written important books on on Nixon and also on Reagan. Uh, he talked to me about the dog whistle politics of the Reagan era, which I think Reagan inherited from 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 the Nixon period. Uh, America is today particularly embroiled in the issue of race and racism. What was your sense of um, the politics of race in the Nixon administration? Do you think Richard Nixon was a racist? Definitely not, no. And and, uh, I I get into some of that in the book, It's the President's Man. I I explain his, his positions. But, there weren't a lot of black people in the administration, Dwight, were there? No, there, there were not. We had some. We were working to bring in more, but it was a, it was a different era. We were, we were changing. I mean, the, the country was changing. President Nixon took those, the segregation down in the South. Those schools were 80% segregated, and by the time he left office, it was down to 10% and he would have whittled it further had he not resigned. He did a phenomenal job on uh, getting on, on changing that whole South in terms of the segregation of the schools. Your old friend, uh, John Dean, uh, had a piece recently in the New York, well, it wasn't so recent, a couple of years ago in the Times uh, on Donald Trump saying that Trump compared himself to Nixon and according to Dean, that's hooey. Is there a connection, do you think, between the the narrative of the the Republican Party under Nixon to Trump? Is there a, a direct uh, lineage, or are you surprised with uh, developments in the Republican Party since Nixon, from Nixon to Trump? 
Well, uh, the thing that the two men have in common is that they both ran as Republicans and they both got elected president. Uh, John Dean characterizing Trump or characterizing Richard Nixon is hardly worthy of any uh, credibility. What's your view, though? In addition, I mean, obviously, they're both Republican and they both became president. Some people see uh, Dwight's Trump's populism being a direct outgrowth of Nixon. Others would say that Nixon, actually, if he was around today, would probably be in the Democratic Party. Well, I, I, I doubt that seriously. Nixon would be part of the working majority of the Republican Party, and Nixon was party loyal all the way through. So, so where uh, would he be today, Nixon, in the Republican Party? Would he be a critic of Trump? Would he be in the Trump camp? Nixon would be a person working within the party to, to build unity and to be uh, doing everything possible, particularly in this off-year election year, to see that Republicans are elected across the board. He, 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 he did uh, that through his whole career. And, 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 you know, to try to uh, tie Richard Nixon to Donald Trump to make some comparison, uh, Richard Nixon would have been handling that in the smoothest of ways because he, he was a consummate politician when it came to this. So he'd be Mitch McConnell, do you think? Mitch McConnell does his job and he does it well. Are you nostalgic, Dwight, for the great men of D.C., the great politicians? We had a show recently on James Baker, who, of course, worked for Nixon for a while uh, with the, the two very distinguished political writers, Peter Baker and Susan Glass. I have a new biography on him. Do you sense a decay, a decline in the quality of the president's men, people working for uh, American presidents these days? Are we missing a James Baker? Can, can, can I give it a more general uh, point of view? Uh, I, I was making the point the other day that in, in regards to everything that's going on in Washington, that I believe President Nixon would be saying, hey, folks, let's quit throwing sand at each other and get out of the sandbox like a bunch of kids and, and let's start dealing with the real issues that affect America. Uh, <clears throat> this whole thing needs to be elevated by everybody. And, and we're wallowing in all kinds of side issues and arguments and so forth that just detract from what needs to be accomplished with our, with our country. We have some serious problems. They need to be addressed by serious people and thought, thought through, and they need the kind of strategic thinking that I believe we got from Richard Nixon. Do you think Nixon, if he was around today, would talk to the Chinese? We've done so many shows on the surveillance nature of Chinese society with a German journalist, for example, Kai Strittmatter. Um, I did one uh, actually uh, last week with the Wall Street Journal culture writer Eric Schwartzel on how China is infiltrating Hollywood. Do you think Nixon would be able to talk to the Chinese? It doesn't seem as if Biden can, I, or I, Trump for that matter. I, I, I believe Nixon would be taking a very vigilant look at this thing in terms of, uh, you know, 
let's do business, but let's verify. Not not the, not the trust and then verify that I'm talking about with Reagan, but it's, you know, every one of these commercial type things that we're walking into, let's, let's have some basic understandings with the Chinese. And they either abide by it or we don't do business with them. We got to put national interest ahead of commercial interest. And I know that there are a lot of business people that would not like hearing me say that or believe that, but that's where it's got to be. National interest first. Do you think Nixon would have been uncomfortable with the enormous power of private corporations like Google and Facebook and Apple, who in some senses appear to be even more powerful than the U.S. government? Yes, I, I believe that it's not that he would be uncomfortable with it. It would be that he he would believe that the uh, bloody pulpit of the presidency should be used to bring people into line on the national interest. Uh, the, the kind of world that we are in now with that is so much different in terms of how communications and the cyber uh, the cyber technology, how this all works. And, and it needs to have uh, its own base of understanding and, and, and conduct. And it is imperative for the protection of our country that we have strong leadership in this area and that we have resolve. Dwight, you spent a lot of time with President Nixon. Um which is what the president's man is all about. Is there one, and, and, and I know you say one of the reasons you wrote the book was because you wanted to tell your family, your grandchildren about the man you worked for in that period. Is there one particular anecdote that perhaps captures in your view why Nixon was a fine president and a fine man? Well, let me say this, that in addition to my family, I wrote the book for history. And, yeah, well, and history thanks you, Dwight. I'm speaking on behalf of history. Thank you. And to come forth with uh, a, a broader understanding of what that man was all about. Uh, I, I like to, to focus on the human Nixon. When we, when we went uh, to see the Pope uh, in, at the Vatican, on the way in, uh, flying into Rome, uh, the president had his military aide go through the plane and identify who uh, might be part of the uh, Air Force, the Air Force running the plane, uh, who might be Catholic. So when we went to the Vatican, he took the official party, of which I was part, but he also took some folks from the Air Force that helped with Air Force One who were not part of the official party. And, and one of the things I'll never forget was this young Filipino steward who served uh, on the plane with meeting with the President of the United States, Mr. Nixon, introducing him to the Pope and this young man, the tears just coming down his face. Very poignant moment and very typical of Richard Nixon. What about the, that poignancy, Dwight, when it comes to your own life? Uh, Fitzgerald famously wrote, there are no second acts in American lives, but you've had a second act. You went to jail 
you you were punished for your association, rightly or wrongly, with with the Watergate break-in. Um, do you feel there are second acts in American lives, and have you had a second act? Uh, yes, there are second acts, third acts, fourth acts. I mean, uh, it's up to the individual and the tenacity and the resiliency of uh, of a given individual. But there's always the opportunity. These folk, for, forks in the road, you know, you you hit an obstacle, you uh, do your best to right what was wrong, and you move down another path. And I, I've been blessed. I've had incredible opportunity. Uh, I, 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 I do want to draw the line. I was not involved in anything that had to do with the uh, break-in or the official Watergate thing. My, mine was off at the side. And, and dealt with the pranksterism, uh, Dick Tuck type activities. So I, I was never in the broader water. Would you regret anything though? If you were doing it all over again, would you do exactly the same stuff, Dwight? No, I would. I would obviously not hire Don Segretti. I would have avoided that piece. Yeah, of I know you're not a big fan of Segretti, who was the. Um, I am. A, I am a uh, huge. I am a huge uh, fan of President Nixon's committee to reelect the president. A very controversial character. Yes, I, I, Don Segretti and I are great friends. We have remained great friends. It was, I, I got him into something that I should not have gotten him involved in. And I've taken responsibility for that. And, and, but, but we remain wonderful friends. And what would you say, Dwight, to someone watching this who would say, why should we hear from a disgraced associate of President Nixon, who himself was disgraced. What would be your response to that? Well, uh, I uh, let me just say this. I look at any disgrace that I may have received as purely political. This was purely political. And I am giving a picture of Richard Nixon and an insights into this man in my book, The President's Man, that people can learn from. If you're a young person, you can. There are all kinds of stories in there and examples that I think would be useful to, to a young person. Well, it's certainly true. The President's Man, the memoirs of Nixon's trusted aide. My suggestion would be to read it, but also, of course, read All the President's Men uh, by Bernstein and Woodward. If you haven't read that, the two would go nicely together. Interesting comparisons. Uh, what else, uh, Dwight, should people be reading in February 2022, 50 years after Nixon's famous trip to China? Yes, I, I would like, I'd like to recommend my uh, friend Jeff Shepard's book called The Nixon Conspiracy. Oh, this, wait is, this is a book here that uh, is also excellent and uh, details uh, a lot of brand new information and insights that deal with the actual trials and the, uh, the, the, what, the, what Judge Sirica did and uh, how some of the men were really not given the kind of judicial I hearing. I had him on the show. My, my liberal friends and my liberal wife will spank me, but it needs to be told. What, what's the name of the book, uh, Dwight? It's called The Nixon Conspiracy by Jeff Shepard. Do you know him? I do. We're good friends. We'll have to introduce me. And finally, Dwight uh, Chapin, the author of The President's Man, uh, one of Nixon's most trusted aides, 
who runs the world, Dwight Chapin, in 2022? Well, unfortunately, I think the world in large part is run by what we call the deep state. And we, we need to flush that out and get to the bottom of it. And we need a very aggressive and very objective media to get that accomplished.